Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Promise, a podcast about healthcare that delivers on our promise to know you, care for you, and ease your way. On this podcast, we will talk with healthcare professionals and hear stories of compassion to help you navigate the world of healthcare with dignity, care, and humanity. I'm your host, Nancy Jordan, Chief Mission Integration Officer. And here with me today are Bethany Obstadal, Hospice Volunteer Coordinator for Sound Home Care and Hospice in Olympia, Washington, and Marie Lanise, a longtime hospice volunteer for Providence Health. On today's episode of The Promise, we will talk about the role of the hospice volunteer and why they play such an important part in hospice care, not only with the patient, but with families as well. Welcome, Bethany and Marie. I'm really looking forward to our discussion on this important topic. Bethany, let's start with you. Tell us about how you got into your role. What what inspired you to to move into this work and and what you're doing exactly? Sure. It was actually sort of by accident. Uh, I started the first part of my career, the first decade or so was in volunteer management in working with teenagers. Then our family moved to California to be near relatives and I needed a job and a family friend shared with me a posting for a hospice volunteer coordinator position. And my first reaction was actually kind of like, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing for me. It might be depressing. But uh, as you do when you need a job, I went ahead and applied, um, not not knowing if it was going to be the right thing or not. But I um, had the interview. I really enjoyed the people. Uh, I did get the job offer and um, went on to go to that first day. And from that first interaction. I went to the team meeting, saw what hospice was about, really just, you know, was able to soak it in and see the, um, they have this meeting called an interdisciplinary team meeting where all the different disciplines uh, come together to support like in a web, right, Um, for the patient and family. And so you have nurse and social worker, chaplain, bereavement, volunteer, medical director, everybody coming together. And it was just, like mind blowing. And I knew from that point, like, okay, this is what I want to do. And being able to coordinate volunteers to support families, to assist in that and to kind of just help in any way, it was perfect. It was a perfect fit. So what do you think inspired all of those members of those um, interdisciplinary teams to come together? What, what, What was mind blowing about that? for you? It's, I mean, everybody has their own role that they play. And so they have a respect for each other and an expertise that they bring to the table. And so it was just so great to see, you know, as they're talking about a person and maybe their family member and talking about maybe it's the suffering that this person's having and being able to recognize that, you know, the symptoms that they're having may not be from a physical pain. It may be existential suffering that they're having. And so maybe the chaplain should make a visit or gosh, there's a lot going on with the family dynamics here. Maybe the social worker can help do some repair work with this family or how can the chaplain, you know, or the nurse help in um, go and make a joint visit. So it was just 
this appreciation that grew. And I think that a lot of times folks, and this is true of our volunteers as well, a lot of times people have a personal connection with hospice or um, home care. And that was true for me as well. Uh, I had had a couple of family members on hospice and had had um, really impactful times with with that. And so that's part of why that, you know, my initial, gosh, it might be really sad, but it can be really meaningful. And that has been the case. So I think that's maybe what draws people to it is just that opportunity to make a difference. What you're sharing reminds me of something that we say quite often at Providence Health, which is we care for the whole person, the mind, the body, the spirit. And that certainly sounds like what hospice offers. And it's the whole family. It's not Mm -hmm. just the patient. It's the whole family. And the needs are just so varied. It also Mm -hmm. makes me think of something else we say in healthcare is, especially at Providence, that sometimes curing is not possible but healing always is. Mm. And it sounds like this is what your team does. Mm-hmm. How do you go about finding volunteers or do volunteers just come to you because they have had an experience in hospice or they have experience in healthcare? And, and what kind of personalities traits are you looking for in a volunteer? Yeah, I mean, they do come to us. We, you know, we we do some advertising and recruitment for sure, but uh, we have volunteers that, are looking for this kind of work that, you know, specifically go searching for the opportunity to give back. A lot of times it may be a bereaved family member who has received our services with Providence Hospice. And then a couple years go by and maybe they want to pay it forward and give back in that way. A lot of our volunteers do have that personal uh, connection with hospice. And so, you know, they receive that benefit maybe They want to go and be able to relieve a family member and provide them with a break, or they just know firsthand how important it is to be able to go and hold somebody's hand and to be present with them and to, you know, just be with them. And so they find us. And so we're not looking for any special skills. Uh, There's no special requirements other than having a compassionate heart. The main thing, uh, the main requirement is is wanting to give back and having that caring heart. Well, speaking of caring heart, I would like to invite Marie into the conversation. And I, of course, I don't know, but I'm assuming you are one of these compassionate individuals that has found hospice volunteering, you know, an important part of your life and certainly an, an important gift to all those that you connect with. Um, Marie, tell us about what you do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I have to uh, reiterate what uh, Bethany just shared. She described to a T exactly why I'm here. I actually experienced death in my own personal family at a very young age. And that kind of exposed me to all of the feelings that surround losing a loved one. Scared, you don't know how to behave, you don't know how to feel. It's just a whole lot of things. Um, And then throughout my adult life in losing other family members who were on hospice, I witnessed, you know, so much love and compassion and understanding and support. And I knew that when my time allowed in my life that I would like to give back. And that's exactly why I'm here today. And that is just to be with families and just support them and be in that space with them um, and provide that, uh, whether it's a break uh, to get out with some self-care or to call in and check in with caregivers, just seeing how they're doing 
or you know provide notary services for families um just those are the three things that I have done throughout my career um, in volunteering. But really, it's it's to give back because uh, hospice has had a huge impact on my life personally, and I want to give back to other families. Marie, when you think about that first experience you had with a death of a, of a family member or loved one early on in your life, did you have the benefit of hospice support at that point? Well, no, with the with the first loss in my life, I was 19 when my dad passed away. It was very suddenly. So there was no hospice involved in that experience. But it did show me uh, and I learned at a very young age what death is. You know, it's a part of life. It's a part of living. And we don't think about it that way. But it is. We're all going to end up going that route. And so I just became aware of the feelings around death and that feeling of, you know, what do we do? How do we do this? What, you know, all of those certain things. And so that's kind of what helped me or just kind of led me to the hospice work and the volunteering that I do. I just can't help but wonder if we didn't have hospice, what would our families and our patients be missing and our loved ones? What, I mean, I also, I lost my father last October and had mm. the, 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 oh gosh, the benefit. And I want to say joy because maybe perhaps joy is not the right word, but the support and the love and the compassion of our hospice in Northern California and Napa. And um, I just can't imagine going through that without a hospice. So what would be lost? Bethany, maybe you can share with me, like what would be lost on, for a family that doesn't engage with hospice? Well, I'm sorry for your loss, Nancy. Um, I, I, I don't know how folks do it without the support of hospice. Um, and so often we hear from families, you know, gosh, I don't know how we did it before, or we wish we would have had your support sooner. Um, just when hospice comes in and just the, you know, the education provided on how to, you know, tra transport or transition physically to help with bathing, the medication changes that maybe happen. I mean, we we're able to come in and really address what are the goals of the patient. They're driving this journey and we're just there to support them. And so, you know, it's a beautiful thing to have the patient say, I want to make one more trip to the ocean. How can we help make this happen? So is it, okay, we need to figure out, do they need to take some portable oxygen tank? You know, like, what is it that's going to help support this in a safe way? What's a meaningful or, you know, what's reasonable and achievable? And how can we make that happen? So without hospice, I think there's a lot more suffering and there's a lot more struggle. And um, I think that, you know, people do it. Um, but they don't need to. And, um, you know, I, I get the response a lot when I, I, I'm very vocal to tell people what I do, that I work in hospice. And um, I have been very vocal for a long time because I don't think we should be shy about our work. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about death and dying. Like Marie said, you know, it's part of life. And um, that the more we can talk about it, and be comfortable talking about it, that um, the more we can help people know, like, this is there as a support. And so, you know, denying the fact that end of life and home care, health care, um, hospice care uh, 
is needed is not going to help us. So if we can reach out sooner and get those supports in, we actually are increasing that quality of life in those final months. I don't know if that answers the question. It absolutely does. I mean, there's so much wisdom here. Oh my gosh, collectively between the both of you. And I'm going to ask you to share a story or two in, in, in just a moment. So be, be thinking about a couple of stories related to some of the themes that you've brought forward, you know, such as it's the journey of the patient that we're on. It's not our agenda. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain you've probably run into family members who've said, well, wait a minute. No, I'm not ready for mom, dad, grandma, sister, brother, husband, partner to go. So perhaps you've, you have some wisdom around that, you know, for us, for our listeners, um, that it isn't our agenda. As much as I wanted to call the shots, it was not up to Nancy. I, I, you know, that is one thought, um, the, the idea of taking a break. Um, Marie, you mentioned, you know, even if it's giving some respite, perhaps you have a story about a, a family member that really did not want to leave the side of their loved one. There's just so many stories because, you know, as you remind us, Bethany, I mean, this is this is just part of life. And we do reduce suffering when we can really ease the way, when we can really, really sort of step back and scope in at the same time mm -hmm. and be in that moment, but also be agile and fluid. Mm -hmm. So what stories come to mind when you talk about your work, when you think about your experiences? I could share a few of my personal experiences um, from the volunteer standpoint. And I, I mentioned earlier that I started out as respite uh, provider. And so I would go into the homes and allow the caregiver either to get out of the house and do some shopping or an appointment or, you know, just to basically get out and do a little bit of self-care. And I would stay in with the patient. And that's how my volunteer, you know, journey started, if you will. And I can remember early on, and of course, my very first patient, I can remember thinking, I hope I do okay. I hope that I'm able to provide the support and compassion that this family needs. And so as time went on, and I, I'm, I guess I'm very lucky and blessed that this was my very first patient. Um, and as time went on, this patient, she started to open up and chat with me about the relationship that she had with her oldest son, who was going to be moving home to help the father take care of her. And you could tell that this was a really struggle and a challenge for her. And as time went on, I felt her opening up more to me and sharing her feelings about these things. And it wasn't, I was driving home one night and I was really processing and thinking about that conversation. And I thought, I'm safe for her. I'm not a sister or a brother or, you know, husband or family member who would judge or have input. She just needed someone to listen and process those feelings and um, it was at that moment for me that I felt, okay, I think I'm really helping her in my own funny little way. I'm actually there as a set of ears, at the same time providing respite care for her husband who um, needed to get out of the house for a few hours, you know, weekly. And that was probably my first experience with this makes a difference in its, in its own way. This really is helping this person. In addition to helping the caregiver, her husband, I was providing someone for her at that time in her life. She needed to share these feelings and to get these to the surface, you know, on her final journey out. Um, and that was, you know, that, that may, I have many stories like that, that, that go on. And then of course uh, the respite care kind of went kibosh when COVID hit and we kind of transitioned into caring calls. And so the we as caregivers would reach out once a week to the, uh, I'm sorry, we as volunteers 
would reach out to the caregivers once a week and just see how they're doing. You know, are there anything you need? You make sure you have the phone number to call 24 seven, should you have any concerns or whatnot uh, through this journey. Um, and as time went on, we would get, I would, there would be some folks who would always answer the phone and a lot would just choose and let it go to voicemail, which was fine. Um, just want to check in and let them know we're thinking about them and that we're there to support in any way we can. And every now and then some of those folks that would always go to voicemail, they'd answer. And I knew when they answered the phone, they had something to share with me. And I will tell you every single time that was the case, they would say, you know, we're having this issue and we're not exactly sure what to do. You know, what should I do? And I'm just, you know, so I would advise them to call into to the triage number and, and someone there could basically, you could definitely help them with this issue or whatnot. And then I will share, there's always those stories that we have, as I just shared with you, my very first patient, um, I had a gentleman who was on this caregiving call and it was shortly after we started with COVID lockdown and whatnot. And he was so quick to answer his phone every single week. And it was just for him, I was someone who could listen. And I understood with all the challenges he was having, you know, losing his wife. And after every call, he would profusely thank me for calling in, for checking in on him and just listening. And when I hung up that phone every week, I knew that I did what I set out to do and that I absolutely made a difference in somebody's life and helped them through that time. And all he wanted was just someone to listen again, just someone to listen and also someone that understood what that final chapter looks like in, in folks' lives. And so that's kind of my retransition to caring calls. And another service that I provide as a volunteer is notary services. And those services, I will tell you each and every time um, it's a true blessing for them because the patient's are not able to travel. They're not able to get out of bed. They're not able to, you know, to go out and have the, these, you know, important papers and documents taken care of, so that they can rest assured that those things are are covered. And each and every time I go into someone's home and do, they're so grateful. They don't know what they would have done, how they possibly could get these things done under the certain, you know, current circumstances. And I am always so very happy and grateful to provide that service to them. So these are three examples of what I do as a volunteer. On, and I'm very grateful that I am able to go into homes and, and to provide this help for, for families. Notary services. I never would have put that together with hospice. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Marie, I mean, you've been able to really well match your gifts and offerings with the needs of, of those that you encounter. That is that something that's common to, to offer a notary? Is that Bethany? I, I see you're It's a your big head. need. It's a really big need because you know there's a lot of there's um, POA or medical or durable power right. of attorney. There's uh, wills that need to be notarized, and you have patients that are homebound. Right. And there are mobile notaries out there that they can hire at an, a great expense. And so a lot of times that's cost prohibitive for families to be able to have that mobile notary come out. And so for our agency to be able to send our volunteer notary out, it's a huge gift. So we're super thankful that we have Marie and wow. she's a, I mean, I'll sing her praises that, you yeah. know, if, if her schedule allows, I can call her and ask her, you know, are you available? Yes. And, you know, by the way, it's about 45 minutes away. Is that okay? Sure. You know, she's always willing to say yes. If her schedule is open, she takes oh it. Gosh. Wow. Are, are there other um, like sort of hidden skills that, that might make someone a, a very helpful volunteer, but 
musical or yoga yeah, or I mean, yeah we um we have licensed beauticians that will provide haircuts oh, for patients yeah. who are homebound um we also do some special programming with our veterans so um veteran to veteran matching uh to be able to um visit on that level and do some special honor ceremonies uh we also have massage therapy volunteers who go in we have uh, it's called animal assisted interactions, but um, usually people think of it as dog therapy visits. So the friendly visitors with the dogs. Uh, so we have those volunteers go in and, uh, you know, just a variety of, of ways. And we do have musicians um, share those. We, I mean, we have a volunteer who has been a longtime volunteer with us who actually plays the glockenspiel. So not, not a musical music instrument that you think of um, commonly, but I mean, she'll pull that out every once in a while and she'll play for a patient and, you know, it's, it's entertaining. Um, more commonly, we have, you know, volunteers who maybe sing or have played guitar or um, sometimes will play the piano. So if there's a piano in the home or if it's at a facility, they'll go and sit and play. But yeah, certainly. Wow. I just, I, I had not imagined that. And I just, I'm now thinking that those ways of sort of getting in the door kind of help maybe build rapport and build that sense of comfort, Marie, as you described with the gentleman. And, and I'm sure it was very unfortunate that you had to turn to calls as opposed to being in the presence of, but of course it was very necessary. Um, but to be able to build that sense of trust between you and the, the patient or the families. Right. What's it like to be, um, and, and this I'll start with you, Marie, to be in, in that sacred space. I mean, this is life's most profound or one of life's most profound experiences in a family. And there you are right in the front row. What is that like for you? And how do you manage your own emotions that may come up? For me, having experienced so much loss in my own personal life, I think that's probably what's made me well-equipped to walk into that space. I'm always very grateful that I'm allowed into that space and to kind of provide support to families uh, going through things that I have felt. So when I'm helping or talking or being in that moment, I can remember those times for me and how important it was for someone to listen to off you know, sometimes they don't want you to say anything. They just need you to listen. And they someone that truly cares and that looks at them and that understands. And I can feel all those feels. I have felt all those feels. And I've seen different uh, family dynamics in those moments. And so for me, having lived that experience, it makes it easy for me to be a part of theirs and to just be for them and to be in that, allow them their space to deal and to process how they have to, how they choose to, to process those moments in life. And then Bethany, kind of on the reverse side of this, Marie is yeah. so articulate about sharing, you know, how, yeah. where she is and, you know, her own um, journey with this. What advice do you give people that come to you wanting to volunteer? How do they get to that place where Marie is? And I know it's taken many years of life experience, but, you know, how do you navigate that for your volunteers? So, I mean, as we send them off, you know, obviously there's quite a bit of training that goes into becoming a volunteer after, you know, this extensive training. Uh, you know, one of the, the pieces that I remind them 
uh, and as part of that, and as sort of like my mantra that it's not mine, I didn't create it. And many people have, have said it before is it's not about me. So, you know, that's one of those, you take a breath before you go through that door and kind of take a moment to breathe it in, remember where you're going and it is not about you in that moment. So you are going, you know, just centering yourself for however, you know, whatever resonates for that individual volunteer to think about it as they are going into that sacred space, however they want to think about it, but that it's not their agenda. They're not, they may be a curious individual by nature and they may want to know about the family. And that may be one of the things that drives them to volunteer, but it's not about their curiosity. It's to go and how can they be helpful? And if some of that stuff comes out in conversation, that's wonderful, but it's really about what the patient or the family needs and what they want to share and just being like Marie said, just being with the person. So, you know, that's, that's the big like takeaway is <laughs> it's not about us. That's hard. Um, that's, that's yeah. Hard. <laughs> someone or you know you anticipate someone's leaving this world I mean you mm-hmm. you want to find yourself in that you, you, you know I think that's very probably very natural yeah. what what you mentioned the training what does the training involve I mean we start off uh, with just a meeting for potential volunteers where we can talk about program requirements make sure they're aware that there's a background check and health screening all of these basic requirements to ensure that it's going to be a good fit for them and that um, that you know, they have clear expectations of our program that that we're going to be a good fit um, both ways. And then if we feel that it is, we invite them to training. It's a hybrid training. So they start the first piece of it online and it's self-paced. They watch a series of videos and take quizzes. And that piece of it is at a minimum about 11 hours worth of um, videos and quizzes. And a lot of our volunteers actually spend much more time than that because there's additional resources available and they'll do you know a deep dive on any of the given topics. Um, it goes over a variety of all you know hospice philosophy and spiritual care and bereavement and all the different segments of hospice care. And then they join us for an in-person training uh, after reading our manual. And the in-person training is done in a group setting. And that's a full eight-hour day. And so it's a long day, but it actually goes by quite fast. And that is where we go in depth about, you know, the what if scenarios of, you know, what if my patient falls while I am there with them? What do I do? What's the protocol? What if there's a concern that there's abuse or neglect going on in the home? You know, like the what, what ifs? Um, Not that we see that often as a volunteer, but it could happen. So we want to be prepared. So we go into that and, you know, the basics of how do we report? Um, Because our volunteers actually do reporting that goes into the medical charts. So they have to be trained on all of those things and proper, call it donning and doffing. So putting on their uh, personal protection equipment and taking it off. So we train them on all of those things. And then after the in-person training, they come back for at least one more uh, one-on-one session with the volunteer coordinators where we can get into depth about their personal preferences on, you know, where, what environments they'd like to serve in. So some folks will have a preference on maybe they want to stick to 
um, facilities, so like a skilled nursing facility, or maybe they only want to go into residential like homes, or maybe they don't care. Um, some folks will come to us and they have uh, maybe a history with a certain diagnosis because of a family member, and they may want to avoid that setting. Um, so those things come out in that one-on-one. Um, -on -one. So it's it's quite a process, but you know it's it's a big commitment to become a volunteer with hospice, and we really appreciate our volunteers. Uh, we also provide ongoing education too, as as they come on board, and we try and show our appreciation ongoing also. <laughs> so let's say I want to volunteer. What's my first step? How do I make? Yeah, that? yeah. Our the first step would be to reach out to us to give us a call or an email, and then we send the application link talk on the phone. I mean, there's a number of ways. Well, it sounds like I would be very well prepared because that's a very involved, uh, very comprehensive as needed training experience. As we close out, Marie, I just have one final question for you. What advice would you have to anyone um, who may be interested in volunteering for hospice? That's a very good question. I think as far as advice, I think it's just an understanding of the space that you're walking into when you choose to take on this role as a volunteer. I think it going through the various scenarios, there's each family has a different story. Each family has different scenarios. So you're walking into very different things. I look at it as it's education to me. And I would, I would tell them the same that it's just, it's a blessing. Um, and as I mentioned early on, we are all going to take this journey one day to kind of prepare ourselves and our families and our loved ones for what that's what that could look like. And so I'm very, very happy to be doing what I do and to kind of to, to be in that role for other families and to, to provide support and compassion and just a caring soul as they embark upon that journey for their families. Well, you both absolutely exemplify something that we speak to quite a bit in Providence Health, and that is the experience of the sacred encounter. And you are living these sacred encounters with everything that you are doing. And it is such a service to your communities and really to the world. I mean, it really, really is to be able to be willing and be so skilled and open to these sacred encounters. I thank you both for joining us today. Um, it's just been such a pleasure to meet you and thank you for all the work and the service that you're doing. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. And thank you for joining us today on The Promise. We look forward to sharing more stories of compassion and caring with you in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to providence.org. Please note that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And at Providence, we see the life in you.